Good morning. There's a device up here I don't recognize, but it looks powerful. I better set that down before I hurt myself. I was greeted on the porch by Joel Hall this morning, who said it's a good, it's good to be on the right side of the grass. Amen. Amen. It's good to be on the right side of the grass. I look great, don't I? Yeah. I hear that everywhere I go. You look good. I mean, it's like people are expecting me to look half dead. Well, it's wonderful to be here this morning, and I do appreciate the opportunity. This is the first time in the saddle for me since my uh, event, which I'll talk about in a moment. Morning, Dad. Mom. Mario. You know, as you're journeying through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, I've been given the liberty to continue in this stream in chapter 18 or to interrupt the flow. Well, I've elected to interrupt the flow with joy. And uh, I want to begin by giving thanks to you. Uh, I'm alive today, sincerely, because you prayed. Um, eight weeks and two days ago, I died. It's that simple. Full cardiac arrest on the Castle Rock Trail. Just dropped. I was surrounded by my friends. We were doing a trail cleanup for, for the Forest Service. And uh, there were about 10 of us there, along with the forestry staff. And I just dropped. It happened so quickly that some of the people thought I was joking around, which I normally do anyway. And, uh, and somebody even commented and said, what is this, some kind of a new yoga movie you got going on here? Because I had fallen over a log. I mean, the whole thing is miraculous, so I do want to share it with you if that's all right. Um, I, I would have elected for just a complete healing miracle. That would have been fine. <laughs> that's not how this one came. I fell, and my belt loop, I'm not sure which one. I haven't figured that out yet caught on a tree limb that was hanging off the side of this trunk on the ground that we had just put in place and I was hanging by that with my legs folded under me and my arms above my head and if that hadn't happened I would have rolled down into a ravine so then the person next to me, Nikki McGivney, who I work with, said I, I don't think this is right <laughs> something's wrong here and she reached over and grabbed me and pulled me up and was feeling, I think he hit his head or something. Um, we were there on the trail for one hour. There were 10 of us. We were donating 10 hours of time. Uh, two of our people didn't show up. They went to the wrong trailhead. And they sat and waited for us at that trailhead for 45 minutes, getting angry with us because we were in the wrong place. But we were supposed to meet at that and drive up to the top of Castle Rock and work our way down the trail. At the last moment, the director from the Forest Service said, no, let's, let's just go down to the other end and start there. So we were down on that crazy highway curve where it takes off and goes up. And when we finished, we had just come down. We were maybe 10 or 20 yards from the highway when I dropped. And just three or four minutes prior to me dropping, the two people who were late found us. Well, those two people are Sherry Mersick, 
and carry jacks. They're like highly trained RNs. One is the head of our emergency room department at the hospital. The other is the head of our family health clinic. They walked in fresh. They had worked on the trail. They were tired. And when I went down, they just got on both sides of me and said, well, let's do this. And they resuscitated me. Seven and a half minutes later, the ambulance arrived, and they gave me the paddles and got my heart back into a rhythm. Yeah. Um, I was transported to the ER where friends of mine that I work with, co-workers, <laughs> I'd worked for the Bear Valley Community Health Care District, and uh, one of them intubated, intubated me, another one packed me in ice. Uh, they got me all set for a helicopter ride I would never remember. But I'll tell you what, it cost plenty. <laughs> I got the bill for that one, and I thought, hmm, maybe I should have stayed dead. No, not really. <clears throat> not really. Um, so if you don't have that helicopter and ambulance insurance, you might want to look into that. Because you can get all three services for under 200 bucks a year. Um, the, the one helicopter ride and ambulance service to and from is tens of thousands. So, so I got flown to St. Bernardine's, where I spent 21 days and underwent a three-way bypass graft on my heart. They could have done six, but they decided to leave three of them alone because they were too small and they're all clogged up. But as I stand here, I think if I were you and sitting in your chair, I'd say, this is amazing. Eight weeks and he's preaching or sharing. I don't know if I'm going to preach. That might be too energetic for me. <laughs> but you see, all the way through, I had no choices to make. All I did was drop. From there, it was God in charge and you praying that sustained us and continued the miracles day to day. And I, I, I keep learning of new things that happen to me or with me on this journey that I have no recall of. Okay, and, and people, uh, my son-in-law, Josh, asked me, so were you playing ping pong with Jesus or what? <laughs> and I uh, thought that was funny. <clears throat> but, no, I didn't see any bright lights. I didn't get to go to heaven and back. I didn't see anybody. I was gone. And actually, when I came to, I didn't know where I was. I didn't even know what had happened. And I'd already gone through surgery. So I thought somebody had kidnapped me and tied me into a bed. I mean, I thought, where am I? I can't talk. I can't move. And I got things hanging all over. And it was scary. It was scary. But again, Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, if I wrote these down. I don't recall them all clearly. That's still poor. Right.
that's a testimony through uh, actually about a dozen people who uh, began to pray and then felt a release and said he's going to be okay. Um, I, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> so I didn't know it was happening. So I thought Mario was in there, but now I see he's back there with Grandpa. That's awesome. So um, it's been a good journey back. Peggy's been taking great care of me. I mean, without without her, I'd be lost. Amen. Holy love. So August 26th will be a day I remember for a long time. And I have a similarity to Lazarus now, which is interesting. Um, you know, Lazarus was in the tomb four days before Jesus called him out. And when I was in the intensive care unit, they kept me sedated for four days before they decided to do surgery. And uh, they wanted to make sure the lights were on up here before they fixed my heart and bring back a carrot, you know. So, so the lights are on and I'm back. And I tell you, life looks different than... Um, I want to thank Rob Parley for his leadership this morning. The songs are different. And I know that maybe you can't relate to that, but when you start singing a song about my heart, giving praise, or the breath in my lungs comes from you, I want to give it back, all these things become way more meaningful. You know, when it says I have a thankful heart and I have a grateful heart, I guess I just have a heart. Hallelujah. And it's working, it's pumping. Uh, when I lay down in bed at night, it moves the bed. I uh, wasn't doing that before. so. But the bottom line is thanks to you. Many of you jumped in. You uh, helped us even financially, uh, which has been extremely, seriously helpful for us. And uh, But your prayers, your intercession. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And here's one of the interpretations I use for that verse, which... We know it's about Jesus and forecasting his death and giving his life for us. But I've often interpreted it this way, that when you and I decide to stop what we're doing and surrender the next few minutes to praying on behalf of another person, you're denying yourself. You're laying down your life for the other individual. You're saying, I could be drinking coffee or I could be goofing off or I could be working on my car or doing my laundry or but I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to surrender my life in this moment for the next few minutes and pray and intercede for someone else. You're laying your life down for your friends. I consider it an honor to be your friend. Thank you for laying down your life for me and helping me get mine back. Uh, again, I had nothing to do with it. You had everything to do with it. And I hope you hear that I'm grateful. I really, really am. Psalm 68.20 says this. Uh, the Lord pointed this out about a week ago to me. Uh, he has such a way of doing things that is so personal. I mean, one verse in the whole Bible, he goes, you haven't even seen this one yet. <laughs> I probably read it, but never saw it this way. <clears throat> Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Oh, wow. That's mine. That's mine. Is, is there anything, you know, if you heard I fell off a of castle rock, I didn't. I only fell a few feet on a dirt path. Um, 
I know there's some other stories out there, but if you have any questions at all about my journey, I'd be glad to clear up the air for you. Um, it's fun for me to talk about it. In fact, it was so fun for me to talk about it. I could laugh about it. And I, I want to share with you, too, I've had zero pain, which is amazing. I still don't have pain. They were giving me painkillers in the hospital that was making me crazy. And uh, when I got home, I just was taking Tylenol, and I only took it probably because it was in the regimen, uh, but zero pain. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Now, the physical therapy that came afterward, that's pain. <laughs> that's pain. Every day, that's like, mm-mm. But I can guarantee I'm out walking most of you by now. I'm doing two to three miles a day. Come on. Who else is doing two to three miles a day? Chasing people around my neighborhood. If you ever want to go for a walk, come. Just call me. I have to go all the time. You can walk with me and we can talk. If you don't want to get out of breath, you can call me on the phone. I'll put on my ear. I'll, I'll walk and we can just chat. I've, ha- I've, I've done that with my son in Oklahoma. I said, hey, call me. I'm going to go. For, let's, let's go for a walk together. So he, we talked and uh, had him in my ear. Uh, but, yeah, the physical therapy has been very exciting and uh, very productive. Uh, can't wait to get the upper part working. I mean, my legs are strong. The other day I climbed six flights of stairs just because I could, up and down. And uh, that killed me about two days later, but, yeah, it was like, ooh, that hurts. But I can do it. I've got lungs. I've got breath. I've got heartbeat. And I want to talk about the Word of God this morning a little bit. Can we do that? I, if I, I put a title on the message because I'm interrupting the Acts of the Apostle, I called it Interrupted with Joy. You know, our lives and the way God built us, we're designed and meant to be lived, living our lives out in his joy. You're designed for it. Your brain is hardwired by God to learn how to be loving, empathetic, joyful. That's just the physiological side. I mean, he wired it to be capable of that. Some of us grew up in situations where it wasn't nurtured. You know, there was nobody going, oh, like you guys do over Mario. Oh, he's cute. You know what's interesting about babies? is actually relate to higher pitches, which is why they get us to talk to them the way we do. Because if we talk to them in low tones, how are you doing there, little fella? You know, there's not a lot of response, but when we start winding up and go, oh, you're so cute, they respond. So they train us immediately. And then they train us for the rest of our lives. Because we're hardwired to connect. We're, joy comes from relationships. Joy is contagious. And joy is transformational. It can transform your life. Not just, I'm not talking about temporal happiness. I'm not talking about getting what you want. I'm talking about the sincere hara in the Greek, the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, they had just finished building a wall around their city again. Nehemiah had led them for a number of days 
to reproduce the protection that was necessary around the city. When he was done, Ezra the scribe came in and began to teach from the law of God, give them and restore to them a truth from the word of God. And at the end of that, there was so much commotion. Um, They were laughing, they were cheering, some were crying because of what God had done to restore them as a people. It said you couldn't tell one from the other whether they were shouting out in victory or whether they were crying. But the noise was huge. And then the, the, the message was sent to them saying, look, this is a holy day unto the Lord. Go your way. Go back to your homes. Go back to your neighbors. Eat the fat, which is a celebration. Drink the sweet. Again, another celebration. For this day is holy unto the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, when you're in joy and you're in strong relationships that are supportive, you are strong. It just works that way. We know that there have been those of us, I say us because I come from an abusive home. I was raised in an alcoholic home. My dad became so abusive that uh, my mom grabbed four boys and left. I was only seven, I think, uh, somewhere in that age. So we had the effects of neglect and trauma and abuse on our lives at an early age. But when you come to the Lord and he gives you his joy, and it's his joy, and it comes to you, it's transformational. I don't feel like I carry the effects of those traumas anymore. I believe that God has healed me, and he heals us because he brings to us his life as a gift. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I'll read 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. Have you ever asked yourself, what was the joy that was so set before Jesus in his heart, his mind, his spirit that he would endure the cross to get it? You ever asked yourself the question? What was that? What could so motivate Jesus to stare down the cross and go to being impaled, rejected, tortured for you and I? What joy compelled him? Here it is. I'll give you the answer. It's in John 17. Jesus is praying and he's saying, Father, I'm about to leave here because I'm coming back to you. And I pray that you will restore to me everything I had there with you before I came here. He was about to be reunited in that community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and never again to be separated. To always live in harmony with the Godhead. And he had been you know, in a sense, assigned to the earth, which was a little difficult to be like you and I, suffer our temptations and go through our problems for us so that he could recognize and relate to us and take our sins and nail them to the cross. 
But the joy that was in front of him was being reunited with the Father. You and I have the same promise. When you read in the Psalms, and it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. It's true. You know, right now we strive to be in his presence. Again, appreciating Pastor or, uh, Rob Parley's leadership this morning. Whenever I say Rob, it seems like Pastor comes in front of it <coughs> around here. Just to take those moments and to be calm and recognize we're in his presence. He's here with us. We're here with him. He indwells us. We are the body of Christ together. We worship as one. Psalm 1611, you show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'll wait. Nobody wins over babies. I learned a long time ago, if you're having a meeting, two things win, pets and children. And if either one enters the room, you may as well stop whatever you're doing. He is so cute. So Jesus saw the joy of being reunited with the Father. John 17, 13 says, But now I come to you, he's praying, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. We're designed for it. He prayed that it would be our possession, not just a vain hope or a distant thought. It's going to be resident. We get to live in the joy of God. You know, joy is you. This word joy, kara, is used about 54 times in the New Testament. Now, we think on these things that's significant when it's used a lot. But listen to this. The word joy is used in references to joy in the New Testament outnumber references to eternal life. That, for me, is an eye-opener. It's like, wow, eternal life's important. We're going to go there. We're saved. We've got our sins forgiven. We get to live forever with God. But for now, he's saying, here's what's important. You need to live now in this present life on this wicked planet in the joy of God. Wow. Again, where does joy come from? I've said this numerous times here, but it's still the same. Nothing's changed. Joy comes from when I look at Bev and she looks at me. And our brains are exchanging a relationship at six times a second. You can't control it. It just happens. And so if she's smiling and I'm smiling, we're building joy. And that joy is what gives us life. Joy rebuilds the brokenness in our minds and in our spirit. Joy overcomes the crap of life. Oh, he used a four-letter word in church. <laughs> Love's a four-letter word, too. That's not even in my notes. I'm, telling you. <clears throat> I'm going to write that down, though. Some of, listen to some of the places in the New Testament where joy shows up. And you, you're aware of these. Most of you are aware of these. 
Uh, joy in the New Testament means gladness, great happiness. How about when the shepherds saw the star? They were filled with joy. And then they ran down to Bethlehem. Uh, when the statement is made, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. The joy of your Lord. Mary, the Bible says, was filled with joy on the angel's announcement of her going to carry the Son of God. The 70 who were sent out in the name of Jesus returned with great joy because the demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus. There's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. I think it's Luke chapter 15 that gives us three stories. You know, the lost coin, the, the finding the pearl of great price or the, the gem in the field, and the return of the prodigal son. All three of those messages to us and parables of Jesus point us to the fact that when the lost thing is found or when the, I sell everything I have to get this one possession or my son comes home finally, it's about joy. It's about something returned that was lost. It's about being back in relationship. You know, in the prodigal son story, if you're not aware of this, it said the father was looking all the time. And when he saw his son coming, he ran to meet him, right? Now, that's contrary to Jewish practice. He wore a long robe, a long skirt that hung below his knees as the father of the home. And to run in it was actually almost forbidden. But he broke all the rules. He said, no, today, that's my son coming home. And I'm filled with joy, and I'm going to run to him, and we're going to be restored. And in just a few moments, I'm going to get six times a second going. (laughs) And we're going to rebuild joy like this. And it's going to transform us in the present, and it's going to overcome our past. Wouldn't you run to? Wouldn't you sell everything you have to get that treasure of great price? Wouldn't you rejoice like the woman who said, I found the coin that was lost. There's significance in that. We won't take time for that, but sometimes they wore bracelets and had ten coins on it. It was very meaningful. To lose one was just a nightmare. It's like your little charm bracelet. It's got the empty spot. She looked and looked. She had to have that back because it was the restoration of the meaningfulness of her adornment. When the disciples saw the resurrected Lord, they were still unsure what was happening. But it said they were filled with joy, even though they didn't yet believe what had happened. Is it really him? Great joy. If it's him, we got joy. We're just still not sure. Joy comes to all of us when we receive the teachings of Jesus. John 15, 11 says, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Consistent. Continuing. Philip goes down and preaches in the town of, in one of the towns of Samaria and it says that they responded to the message in such a way that the whole city had joy. You know, I'm, I'm just hung up on joy being a big deal. 
I am so sorry. I am so not used to this. There. My apologies. You're very patient this morning. Thank you. John chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus says, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I think we've looked at verses, I've, I've looked at verses like this in the past, so I won't blame it on you. I've looked at these verses and thought, yeah, if I ask and I receive what I ask for, then I have joy. Wrong. If I ask and recognize that I have an ongoing intimate relationship with the one who can give and then I get something from him, my joy is full because I'm in relationship, not because of what I got. This is a mistake we make about life. Joy doesn't come from stuff. In fact, it's a pseudo joy. That's what we would call it. When we can't find real joy, we can't find sincere joy, we can't come into strong and meaningful relationships with others, we look for other things to fill up that part of the the joy center of our brain. There's actually a pleasure center in your brain, and when you do certain things, dopamine is released, and you get excited, and you think life is good. But when you're using a pseudo joy filler, like gambling or goofing off or going to dinner or um, pornography or gambling, I mean, all the vices, you do those for a moment, and then the joy is gone because it's a pseudo joy. It is not complete. It touches the the uh, the pleasure center of the brain and peaks it for a minute and then it disappears. But relationships hold us in that place of knowing that life's okay even if it's fallen apart. I'll say this about going through my journey of the heart thing. Um, a little background. I work on a committee at the hospital. It's called the Patient Experience Committee. Everybody gets to do committee work. But it's about how can we more effectively as a hospital introduce the interface of family and friends into the patient's need. Now, the hospital is fully responsible, and mine, where I was at, St. Bernadine, was fully responsible for all my medical care. And they did a fabulous job. Uh, I had I have all the names of all my nurses, all my doctors, all my phlebotomists, all my respiratory therapists, all my physical therapists. I got all their names. You would expect me to do that, wouldn't you? I only got one birthday, though. Usually I know all their birthdays, too. But they would come and do the medical act, plugging me in and poking and draining stuff. And I had, a, I had blood drawn at 1 in the morning, 5 in the morning, x-rays in my bed at 3.30 in the morning. 
that, that is not a place to rest. You know, it's a place to get better, but it's not a place to rest. And they took care of me, and they plumbed me up, and they got me working. But there's a point in there where there's a longing. You don't even really recognize what's happening, but there's, a, there's something missing. And on a Sunday afternoon, one of my coworkers walked in with a gift bag to visit me. I thought, do you bring gifts to people in the hospital? Well, it was just a carrier. I didn't realize this, but she opened it, and she pulled out of it a banner that little kids and their parents had made for me at work at the Mom and Dad Project. And we put it up on the wall. I mean, it was, it was as big as this. And it had little colorful handprints and footprints that they'd made all around and wrote their names and get better Papa Jeff. And, you know, these are little guys I read stories to. And uh, I thought, boy, I don't need to watch TV anymore. We just pasted that thing up on the wall, and I set my chair right in front of it. And I cried for days. And it began to restore me. People coming to see me. People I didn't even know were there. Julie just told me this morning that she came by when I was out of it and anointed my feet with oil. People came and prayed with me. People held phones to my head so other people could talk to me. I don't remember him. <laughs> I apologize to you. I don't remember. But when that kind of stuff started happening, the joy started coming, and the life started flowing, and it impacted my healing process in a way that no medical thing could help. So I, I can't, I'm kind of excited about going back to my patient experience committee at the hospital and saying, hey, I think I have some insights. <laughs> you know, when it says visiting hours are over at 8 and 5 people just showed up, you bend the rules. You go, come on, we're going in anyway because they need to see you. They need to have some exchange. They need to build some joy so they can get back and get whole. I think the reason I'm, I'm, I was on my feet in six weeks and doing great things uh, as much as I could, Peggy kept track of me. There are certain things you can't do. And she said, hey, hey. <laughs> it's hard letting her open the door for me. She put my socks on every day. I only put my socks on by myself once. I started last week, about a week ago, doing that for myself. She did it every day, taking care of me. It's been kind of fun. <laughs> I, I was so excited to put them on myself, and I realized, well, I just foiled myself here. <laughs> I should have just kept saying, no, nah, I can't do it. Jesus says to us, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full because you know you're in relationship with the one who has the ability to give what you need. Not because you've got the stuff. And we'll, when we realize that, we'll stop asking for stuff. And we'll start searching for him in relationship. We'll start wanting to get in his presence where fullness of joy takes place. We'll start closing our eyes so we can look into his in the spirit and say, I need six times a second with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to build such a solid relationship in me that I know life's going to be okay even if I drop dead.
The Apostle John, often known as the love apostle, starts his little letters with this. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The hyphen there. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. End of the hyphen. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy or our joy may be full. Every time I see this, it says full. God wants it to be full, not just slight, not just occasional, but full. When we see each other, you should practice this, by the way. You can practice. There's a thing called joy skills. You can practice them. Here's an easy one. Smile at the next person you see. That's that easy. Just get that grumpy off your face and smile. Don't hit him. No. Just, it's so powerful. You could change a person's whole day just by smiling at them. You can change a person's attitude by thanking them. Sincerely. Thanks a lot. I have a practice like even if I'm in a line or a checkout or whatever, um, I often say to the other person, I'm really glad you came to work today. They're like, what? You can just, huh? You know, they're not ready for that. It's like my sign here on my shirt says, if I don't say have a nice day, you get $5 off or something. You know, so we're always hoping they won't say it. Or they say, have a nice day. You go, no, 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 stop. Hey, I'm really glad you got out of bed and came to work today. Because where would I be right now if you hadn't come? And they're like, yeah, that's true. And you can almost see their aura change or their facial expressions. Like, hey, you know what? I am important. Yes, we are. People are important. It's the only thing we're taking to heaven is people. We're not taking the stuff. We're taking relationships. And these scriptures are written down so that that joy can come into our lives so we can understand a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to the point that our joy is full. Full. Romans fourteen seventeen says this. and says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness means he made us right with himself. Peace is that uh, deposit that he gives us knowing that we're okay with him. That it's not about what we do. It's not about our works. It's not about how well I do that he loves me. It's just that he decided. That's a big step for a lot of us. We were raised in a performance-driven culture that says your only value is if you do something. You can think about that. You know, you're, you're, 
your ability to be loved depends on what you do. Some of us do it to our kids. I really love you because you cleaned up your room. Bad idea. Come on, I teach parenting classes. That is a bad statement, I'm going to tell you right now. You don't say I love you because you did something. You need to be like God and say, I love you just because you're born. I love you just because you're standing there. I, might, I can also say, and I like what you did. I like your function. I like your performance, but that is not the basis of my love. You can also say, I don't like what you did, but I still love you. Right? These are simple things that transform us in our heart, in our mind, and in our life. Joy is relationships. Joy is contagious. And joy is transformational. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This scripture was called to me from Canada. I was in my hospital bed. The phone rang. I answered it, which was surprising because I didn't do that a lot. Couldn't hardly do anything without coughing. It was a pastor in Whitehorse, Canada. It was way up in the Yukon. He said, just wanted to hear your voice, Jeff. I wanted you to know that when we got the news, the Lord pointed the scripture right to me. said, weeping will endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. And he, said, Let and he and his wife got on the phone and prayed with me. And that's just atypical of what you did, what so many did. You know, my kids came and sat next to the bed day after day after day, wondering, is our father going to live? That's traumatic. And I'm glad I didn't disappoint them. Uh, I know that's, you know, kind of like Lazarus, like, golly, you got to look forward to dying again. Hmm. I hope it's a few years out, but weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. James told us that even in our suffering, we should count it all joy when we suffer for Christ. Not just suffer for being dopey or stupid or being an irritant to somebody. The Bible tells us that even when we can't see him, we're filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's in a suffering, trial-filled time. I, when I'm in the midst of my problem or my distress and I still can't see him in that, I can still be filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory because I know he hasn't left me. You've had enough, haven't you? Sick. You too kind. Tell you. I always, I almost forgot what time to come here this morning. Uh, all the pieces are not, you know, the system is working, but sometimes there's a skip in there that's like, huh? I don't remember everything. I've had to say to more than one person, and this is really crazy because I can look at a person and go. I can tell them all their kids' names. I can drive to their house. I know where they live. Uh, I know I've known them for maybe 20 years. But could you please remind me your name? That is really embarrassing. Because I can't get it. It's like, I know you know me. <laughs> I And somebody hugged me the other day and, said, and they said, you don't know me. I said, I appreciate you telling me that. <laughs> I don't. I, I was wondering, do I know you? 
she just threw her arms around me and hugged me. And she said, you don't know me. And, and I really was thinking that. Good. I'm glad to know that. I said, I'm being hugged by somebody here. And she backed up with tears streaming down her face. She said, I prayed for you every day since we got the news of your heart failure. I thought, somebody I've never met until that moment, but she was there to hug me and tell me, so, so glad to see an answer to my prayers. It's, it's astounding, the things that have happened. In the second epistle of John, I've, I've put this on lots of cards and letters and things as I was finishing writing to somebody or even in an email. In verse 12, he says, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. We spend a lot of time communicating and miscommunicating through texting and emails. And there's something that really occurs when we get to see each other. I'm not sure all of you are happy to see me, but I'm sure happy to see you. I think most of you are. And uh, I stopped by where I worked there at the hospital uh, a week or so ago, and I could not get through the hallways for people popping out of their offices going, oh, hugging me. And I thought, well, I sure hope none of them are sick. <laughs> not really. I, no. <clears throat> not really. Uh, that's all I need, you know, to get some infection. But it's, it's a joy that, that is full when you know people love you, when you know people care about you, when they can look into your face and say, I'm glad to see you. And it really is just like this little Mario down here on the front row. What does Mario have to do to earn his love, to earn his care, to earn feeding? What does he have to do? Thank you. Nothing. He has to do nothing. He just maybe announce it. <laughs> Over here, a little attention, please. Yeah, time to wake up. Let's do it again. Uh, we're the children of God. We sang about it this morning. I'm a child of God. What do we have to do to earn his love? What do we have to do to get his attention? Nothing. The word joy, hara, is connected to the word charis, which is grace, which is connected to the word charisma, which is the gifts of God. I, I look at that series, that three-word series, kara, charis, and charisma, and I go, they're, they're, they're like this. Joy is connected to grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by faith you've been saved, or by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Right? Not of yourself. Go 
by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So in one verse, you've got the karis and the karisma that's talking about kara. Because of you have his grace and because it's a gift from God, you have joy. It's not of works lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace. All we have to do is show up. We were created in his image. We were created for his pleasure. We were made in his image. And all he's wanted to do is build back relationship with us. That's it. He sent Jesus to the cross to restore the open door for us to be in relationship with himself just so he could love on us. I'm going to read something to you and then, and then maybe we'll be done. Let's put a maybe in there. There's always a preacher's thing, you know, maybe. I received a book in the mail two days ago from a good friend. His name's David Fritchie. He pastored in Reno. He used to be the dean at a Bible college I was part of. And um, he's just a great guy. And he sent me a book, unasked for. It's called Transformation. I'm going to read you chapter two. Now, before you freak out, uh, all those chapters are like a page long. (laughs) Chapter two out of the book Transformations is confusing. Confusing information with transformation. Travel with me back to the Garden of Eden. You're there walking with God in the cool of the evening. You're talking with God. You start telling God about him. You've accumulated a lot of information about him, and you want to impress him with all that you know. You pull out a notebook and start through an outline that you have prepared for the occasion on which you have over 100 points of detail about God and things about him that are important. He listens for a time, and he smiles at your exuberance and also your limited ability to comprehend his full being. Finally, he grows a bit frustrated and bored by your telling of the detail and says simply, would you put that away and shut up? I am far greater than your comprehension will ever know and far less interested to hear of it than you can imagine. I invited you to be with me, not so you could impress me with your accumulation of knowledge about me, but so we could just be together and love each other. You don't need to impress me. Just be with me. Now you're frustrated for you are uncertain as to what that means and how to respond. You fear that you've offended God and that, that it's not an inco- inconsequential matter. But he's looking at you and smiling. Then he says lovingly, I just enjoy... <laughs> it's hard to compete with that too. And he says lovingly, I just enjoy being with you and loving you. So you express your fear. You tell him that you don't want to offend him, and you too enjoy being with him, but you would like to know what it is that he wants from you. What should you do to impress him? He chuckles at your human need for approval and then reaches for your hand. He pulls you around to face him, and he takes the other hand also, looking deep into your eyes, 
I always think of that six seconds, six times a second, deep into your eyes. And then he says in a voice so pure and so strong, I have everything I need. I'm all sufficient, needing nothing to complete me. You don't need to work to impress me. You need only to enjoy the life that I've given you and to express the wonder of the creative genius I've placed in you. You see, while I am your life, you are also the object of my creativity and my purpose. I delight in giving to you and seeing the life I've invested in you expressed in your being. I'm not impressed with your knowing about me, but by your being the expression of my love and life through you. While your being is a delight, it's not an end in itself. You are an expression of my nature and my glory. I didn't call you to be with me to impress me, but to be with me and to simply be the extension of me to the rest of creation. You see, you bear my nature and my life. I delight in your releasing that life and in you expressing my creative nature. I am a little concerned that you waste time and energy trying to impress me and trying to be right when all I want is for you to be real. The task of being a Christian is not a task at all. It's a natural expression of his life. It's not found in being right, but in being real. It's not anything related to good and evil. All that's covered at Calvary. It's finished, complete, done. Your old man is dead and you're complete in him. The struggle to measure up to the expectation of God is over. It's now time for you to be what you were created to be, to create in your life the expression of that creative nature invested in you. Put the list away and just walk with him and know his love. There's a phrase that impressed me many years ago, and Dave and I had actually talked on the phone. He said this to me. So there's a phrase that impressed me years ago, and it's become my mantra. It is simply, you cannot become what you already are. Most of Christianity is misguided by a mindset of frantic religious activity, working to become, accumulating data about God and contrasting it with the data of others in an effort to see who's right and how well we have defined good from evil. Folly, sheer folly. This isn't a race against others. It's a release to be you. It's not a contest of good works or of good behavior or of data accumulation. It's about life and the expression of life in the environment you're placed into. There needs to be a mind shift from struggling to be right to realizing what you are in Christ. You cannot do more or be more than you are in him. You cannot repair the old man or dress it in better clothes or decorate it with trinkets and tricks to impress God. You are dead indeed to the old man and you are dead to sin. You are dead to good works. You have passed from death to life. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. You know, if if there was something I could do for all of us this morning, it would be to uh, just be able to announce or, you know, wave the magic wand, so to speak, that, that says, I now say you're free from struggling. You're free from striving to please God. You don't have to measure up. You can't get a better measure than the cross. You'll never do better than that. So why keep trying? Why not just get up in the morning and say, hallelujah, I'm alive. 
I get to spend the day with Jesus and other people. I'm just going to spend all my time doing six seconds or six times a second as often as I can. I want to rejoice in who he's made me to be and let that life flow out. And when I fail, what am I going to do? Oh, beat myself up. Oh, you're so bad. You're so bad. You'll never. Not true. We should say, oh, well, you expected that, didn't you? You anticipated that. That's why the cross is there. Thank you very much for the forgiveness. Thank you. I do repent. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to live with you in peace. And so let's go. And be free to live. We sang this morning, I'm free. I'm free to live. I'm free to run. Free to dance. We don't do that a lot, but I thought about it this morning. I thought, no, you don't have to resuscitate me again. No dancing. Part of heart uh, rehabilitation, cardio rehabilitation, is learning what to do with stress. Now, I, I really believe this about myself, okay? Just about me. I didn't have a cardiac arrest because I live in stress. I just don't live there. I'm too goofy for that. I mean, there's other reasons, you know, probably all those things I ate or <laughs> things I shouldn't have eaten, but I sure enjoyed all that stuff, you know. That, But we're I'm in a stress class. Peggy and I are in this class together. And it was presented to us that joy comes from people, places, things, and values. And as I pondered these things, my thoughts always return to people every time. I tried to think of where's a place that brings me joy. You know, when somebody says, hey, you want to go out to eat? I really don't care where we go as long as I get to be with you. I really don't. You know, what's, what's your favorite meal, they might ask. What's your favorite meal? I go, well, technically breakfast. But, but my favorite meal is the one I get to eat with you. So pick. doesn't matter to me. I don't care if we go to 7-Eleven and get popsicles. Let's just, let's just be together. That's enough. That's sustaining. That's powerful. That's life. Now, I, I know, of course, there are some places that you probably like to go that enhance joy. You know, maybe you sit by the lake or you go for a walk or you got your little corner in your house that you like to drink your tea at, and those are all powerful things. But if there's nobody else there, it can't bring you the kind of joy that God has in mind because joy is relational. Joy is in relationships. So if you're going to live by biblical values, then you're going to find yourself interacting with God and interacting with others. Why not have it be joyful? You know, when Jesus said, you know, well, Paul said in Romans, owe owe no man anything except to love him. Jesus said, this is my commandment. If you keep my commandments, you'll do well. What's his commandment? Love one another. He said, on this hangs all the all the law and all the prophets, it's all captured in this moment if you just love each other. And if you can't love each other, at least try liking each other. Get started, because it is a building process. It's just not automatic. Successful relationships build joy. And our successful relationship with Jesus is that we threw ourselves at the foot of the cross and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. 
my sin keeps me out of relationship with you. My joy will never be full. I'll never understand why I was, why I am who I am or why you made me the way I made until I surrender my life and my heart to you. And so we do that. We might have knelt down. We might have stood at a front. We might have done it in the woods. It doesn't matter, but somewhere we gave our heart to Jesus and said, it's yours now. Now I can say to him, and this one was broken. So, but you fixed it for me. I'm alive from the dead. Jesus, here's my heart. It's all yours. What more can I do to make you happy? And he says, nothing. Nothing. I'm plenty happy being back in relationship with you. It's nice not to be separated anymore. Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to have a cup of tea? Do you want to read the Bible together? Do you want to go minister to somebody? you want to go to your job and make an impact? Whatever you want to do, let's go there. I'll go with you. I'll live inside of you, and you will never, ever be separated again. And when you do die, I'm not looking at you on purpose. <laughs> Look at the ceiling. Sorry, Beth. She'll look in a mirror. I already did. You know, so when you do die, then you're going to really understand that being in his presence is fullness of joy. It's probably good that I didn't play ping pong with Jesus or that, you know, I'm glad I didn't go and then have to come back. You know, that would have been hard. Not my call. Um, it's good, to just, it's good to just be here. And I get a few more days to do something of value. But I know the greatest value that I have to God is just being with him, of spending time with him, and then saying, well, your life in me must be valuable. So where do I let it out? Where do I give it away? Where do I smile at the clerk and say, I hope you have a better day than me? Or thanks for coming to work today. Because I'd be in a big mess if you weren't here. Honoring people for just being people. Loving one another just because God loves us. I hope this doesn't sound idealistic this morning. I just read the Bible different now. I'm not sure I present it well. But I, I do read it differently. And I'm excited. I'm excited to be alive from the dead. Father, I pray that you would do what we cannot, as you always have. You did what we could not when you bought us back, the redemptive power of the cross and the blood of Jesus. You made a way for us when there was no way we could make on our own. And Father, it still remains true. There's nothing I can do to trump what you've already done. I cannot become what I already am in you. Thank you for demonstrating through your word that Christ in us is the hope of glory. That our life comes from you and continues from you. And so we get to live from you, not just for you. Holy Spirit, fill us all. Fill us with yourself. Help us to develop joy with people, others, and relationship. And Lord, I pray that you will release us from the struggle of trying and failing. 
when we don't measure up, that you would show us how much you love us and why you forgave us before we needed it. Help us to be released from the works of the flesh and the striving to become. Help us to just live in the moment that you made us and to love you and to love others with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.